And with us today, uh, we're really uh, excited and pleased to have with us, well, he's a no stranger to the Irish industry, Mr. Scott Prophet. Hey, Scott, welcome. Hey, welcome, Dwayne. Welcome. Thanks, Tony. No problem. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. We have no real set uh, format here because, you know, Dwayne and I can only be so organized. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I expected nothing less than that. Well, I find it's way more fun because then I, I'm not inhibited by any type of rules and my the podcast can be just like my hair wild and crazy, um, which is which is always good. So yeah, it's good talking with you. Thanks for coming on. It, I don't know how much history Dwayne gave you. It's good. Like we, we realized that, you know, this project started as kind of like a, to, a, a way to reconnect with um, the Arbor Canada instructors. And now it's kind of grown into almost sort of a, a, mo- a history of, of Arbor culture in general. And it's been a kind of fun. It's been like, what is this is our fourth or fifth one, I think, Dwayne. It's like been a yep, trip down correct. memory lane. So it's, it's been a lot of fun yeah. to kind of chat with people and, and get those insights. And I think what I've noticed is missing. And I think I notice it most on social media, but I do in, in person training courses is there's a distinct lack of the history of, of especially climbing arboriculture, production arboriculture. There's a very big gap. Like these guys, they don't, you know, they don't understand the processes that led to things. They don't understand why there's a, you know, how, you know, how putting a pulley under the rope changed the world. So th- this podcast is really an opportunity to have those discussions to catch up. And for Dwayne and I to just basically uh, chat with our friends and, and say that yeah. it's work. Yeah. That's yeah. what it boils down to. Yeah. 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 And then it's really, it's really fun that people are willing to do it. You know, I, I, I reached out, I hadn't talked to Rip in a while, but he was like, absolutely he'd love to do it. So he, he's our next interview is going to be with Rip. And, uh, so, you know, it, it, it the, the, you know, as we talk to people and people make suggestions and Scott, we're, we'd like to see who you think would be a good contributor. Um, it just, it, it is, yeah, like Tony said, evolved. So basically, you know, we kind of always ask people to start off with as a way to kind of get the, the juices flowing. But like, how do you recall that you got involved not only in the arborist industry, but then how it morphed into actual training? Or, you know, so kind of two part question. How did you get involved as yeah. in tree work to begin with? Right. And then how did that morph into the training realm? Yeah, the uh, yeah. Thanks for the question. Definitely, um, I got into the tree business as a sixteen-year-old. Um, my my one of my best friends, Steve Lewitt, had an older brother, John Lewitt, and John Lewitt owned a tree company in Fairfax, Virginia, called JL Tree Service, which is still in business today, and. Um, so we we needed we needed money for gas and uh, illegal things um, back in the seventies, and um, so we would uh, after school uh, we we would split firewood that sort of thing on weekends we would drag brush uh, summer breaks out of high school we were brush draggers and chip mainly running chippers and it was a different time back then. Uh, Climbers climbed, they got down, they sat on the log, they smoked a camel and drank beer while while us younger guys dragged all the brush and raked and chipped and cleaned up. But I'm glad to see those those days uh, are gone. That, that's that's how I got started. I I tried my hand at uh, in the early '80s. I tried my hand at my own business, 
you know, when you're, when you're uh, early twenties, um, I thought I knew everything. I was smarter than everyone else. And, uh, it, it only took me about four years to realize I was an idiot <laughs> and, and ran that business, uh, uh, ran it down to I had $86 left in the, in the bank <laughs> account. And I still have that check to clear out that account to remind me of how stupid I was. But, uh, luckily for me being in the industry, uh, a good friend of mine was, uh, owned living tree service. And, you know, I shut my business down and the next day I was, I was working for him and, um, cr- climber crew leader sales, whatever, small mom and pop. Yeah. I don't know if this is getting too detailed, but, uh, that company sold to a company called the care of trees, uh, I think around 1989. I stayed there till 1999. I moved down to Atlanta, Georgia area to be vice president of Arborguard, which is now a Davy company, which coincidentally I worked for the care of trees, which is now a Davy company. Uh, <laughs> it might be you then. And, yeah. And um, I also owned a tree company with my partner, Jim, uh, was called North American Tree Service, which is now a Davy company. So um, I own stock in the care of trees, which means I own stock in Davy. Uh, and I work for Bartlett. So that's really kind of a poetic in its own right. Um, and <laughs> seems like every company I've worked for is now a Davy company. So uh, I'm really, I'm one of those competitors that wants them to do well. <laughs> so <laughs> I want them to be successful. I want my company to be successful. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's how I, got into the tree business and it's some 40 it's been a long ride um 40 something years now so um no no no, no major regrets anyway so um, the training you know, was for, the tra- yeah. go, ahead. go ahead Dwayne. go ahead no go ahead the training let's hear the training yeah so today. it's just you know one thing i think people who have been in the industry realize the industry is really small <laughs> you know you're not that far removed from knowing almost everyone in the entire industry, which is kind of cool. Um, back in the late eighties, um, I believe I saw some workshops by Don Blair who was, um, right. doing, doing some training, more seminar style with, uh, mid Atlantic chapter and other chapters. Um, and that intrigued me. Um, I saw him do a footlock demonstration at a, tree climbing competition that I was in, in Virginia. And it was, you know, even though we were already footlocking, it was kind of cool to see this guy teaching all these people. And I think that was maybe my first, you know, inkling then working for the care of trees. Um, they would hire Don Blair to come in and, um, do the training. So I'm watching this and I gotta be honest with you. Don Blair was like a God, you know, to, to a 29 year old, you know, I thought, I thought he hung the moon at that time. And, um, I had the opportunity to be the, uh, climber in the tree when, I don't know if you guys, well, I'm sure you guys remember when speed line was the hot, great thing. Some, <laughs> some 30 yeah. years ago now, uh, but it, you know, it was the hot thing. And, uh, I was the, I was a young man up in the tree doing all the rigging and cutting while Don was on the ground with the microphone explaining everything. So, um, 
So that was my first kind of taste into, and I liked that. I liked the training aspect. I liked, uh, it was pretty cool. So, um, wow. yeah. yeah. And then, um, for the carrot trees, I was, uh, uh, safety and training coordinator. So I did a lot of training in-house, but I can't say I really knew what I was doing. Uh, just kind of doing it the way I you know, was. It's, yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned uh, Don Blair because uh, he came up in, in, I think it was Norm. We, we, we did an interview with Norm Hall and I believe he mentioned the same thing. And, you know, and even myself, the very first, I guess training, and it was a seminar style that I ever officially received as an arborist was a Don Blair workshop. It was called it was called Arbor Culture of the Nineties. I even had a, got a certificate for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, you know, I used to love listening to Don talk about the Uke Man and the Oak Man, the difference That's between it. the two. So, um, but uh, yeah, and you know, Norm Hall, uh, he and I were pretty good pretty good friends. I think Norm was also on the, he probably was on that speed line uh, training <laughs> session with Norm and I go back that far. Um, yeah. The uh, yeah, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was 1996, I think Salt Lake city. And um, you know, Arbor master had the, the stage at the trade show and yeah, um, I was hanging around and, somehow I got recruited to help pack some bags or I offered to help them pack up or something. And, uh, it was fun. Cause I watched, I watched a bunch of, uh, job court kids come up and get rips autograph. So <laughs> well, I was packing the bag. So I'm like, Oh, well, you know, got groupies, you know, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, still working for the care of trees. We, uh, we would hire Arbor master to help us, which, you know, turn into a relationship uh, with Arbor Master and through the through the nineties, I would sell jobs for him. I'd sell um, help him set up, you know, open enrollment courses. Or yeah. did that for for a number of years, and yeah, yeah hired him all all that kind of stuff. I, I was pretty much a bag boy carrying Ken and Rip's bags. You know, I yeah. think I think everyone on this call probably had that. Yeah one time or another i don't think i was i don't think i ever i'm i can guarantee you i never was paid never once <laughs> paid. I, I i remember i remember picking rip up at uh i think it was dulles international airport at midnight and driving all night <clears throat> down to uh north carolina we stayed in toby Sherrill's empty house because he was on vacation we slept for about one hour and got up and then went and did a Cheryl Arbor Master seminar, and uh, right, you know, so I kind of, you know, I worked really hard to be helpful to to Arbor Master, though, though I though it cost me a lot of money, but I learned a lot too. It was pretty awesome. Okay. And that in these discussions we've been having, that's a recurring theme. Like, and I think we we're talking a couple times. Like, people ask me, like, you know, how, like, what was my path into the training world? And it's like, you know, it's pretty simple. I pretty much just kept showing up until they gave me a job. Yeah. Um, and the, and it wasn't a paid job. It was like, well, if you're going to show up, you might as well do something. And then you end up as the crash test dummy in the tree. And yep. then before you know it, you know, somebody else steps up and you're not the crash test dummy. You're the guy on the ground doing the talking. And it was just, and it was really that, it was really that, that basic. It's like people yeah. were like, no way. I'm like, yeah, no, that's like, you just showed up until, um, <laughs> yeah. until they gave you a job and, and, and it worked out well. I thought it was, it was a nice plan of succession. 
yeah, yeah there was we, there was no money involved there for quite a while which yeah is why you, that, you know yeah you showed up until either they they ran you off or you got smart and ran off on your own right that's that's yeah, kind of yeah <laughs> yeah to, to an extent it was a type of apprenticeship, to be sure. I would say, it, you know, it it, it had it, it. It definitely served a purpose and a function for quite a long time, but uh, it, it also had its limitations, and I think we experienced those as well. But, but it was the way it was. You know, you. No, it was a great. I mean, quite honest. You know, Don Blair was kind of the. You know, Don Blair was managing Don Blair, and that and uh, Arbor Master was something much bigger. You know, and that was cool. I think a lot of credit needs to go to Ken and Rip. And, uh, you know, because I think a lot of us got an opportunity to be trainers or, you know, even if we were carrying the bags. I mean, we got got to do something that was really cool. Um, I love nothing I loved more than helping other people succeed. Uh, It was nothing more fun than teaching somebody who wanted to learn. Uh, something about climbing, rigging, chainsaw, felling, you know, crane, you know, whatever. Uh, that was, you know, and if I hadn't have met, you know, if I hadn't have met uh, Rip, uh, I probably wouldn't be, wouldn't have gone that that route of, uh, you know, of training that I did. So pretty, pretty. They need a lot. Well, they deserve a lot of credit. Yeah, I agree. I hundred percent agree. I, and I think you know, and and Tim Hard it fits into that mold as well. And uh, I think even, even, even Steve Wood, who, you know, was instrumental in them getting connected with Husqvarna. I think those, those four people were a real catalyst for conceiving an idea, you know, that even goes back to has, has some roots in the game of logging model. But, you know, one thing I wanted to, I think we'd be remiss in not talking about with, with you, Scott is the, you know, Tony talked about it the other day that it's basically a household word in the harvest industry. And even if it isn't one, it's called one. And uh, we're talking about the Porter app here and Norm talked a bit about it, but he said, Scotty could have a lot more input on that whole concept. Cause I know that you and him were part of that whole idea. And I think people would like to hear about that. And, you know, we're, we're tickled that we're able to, you know, the whole story of that, I don't know if it's ever been documented or recorded or, you know, in your words as the, one of the primary inventors of it. So maybe you want to take us down memory lane of the the, the, the idea conception and the, where, <laughs> the Porter yeah. Rapper story. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the um, the buck stops here guy with the Porter Rapper story. So anything, yep. anything you hear from anyone other than me is uh, probably uh, – fueled by one too many beers, their memory's been tainted too much. But um, yep. you know, um, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, the first time I met Tony, I believe was in Arbor Games competition yep. in 1998 or 99. Yep. And I'm not bragging, Tony, but I believe I won that competition. Yes, yes. You and, did. Um, but That's then, funny. but there was, I had to, I had to move my family to Georgia, my three kids and wife and all my household. Uh, and, and, um, and you were kind enough to take, take over and uh, compete in my place. If I remember correctly, uh, a young man that used to live with me, Sean gear ended up winning it that year though. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, Sean won. I think Dan was in there. Yeah, we were talking about. Yeah, it would have been because I did an Arbor Master training in Reston, Virginia. Yep. One, one, it would have been one I set up. Yeah, 97, 98, I think. Yeah. Probably 98. And then the, and then we did a competition. It was Virginia Beach, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And that was 98. Uh, and then the North American finals would have been 1999 at Stevens Point, Wisconsin. But the first time I think I officially met you, I think I'd seen you around at climbing competitions and stuff. Because I started like being a groupie at climbing competitions like probably 97, right as I was finishing up college. And uh, But anyway, yeah, that was the first formal. And yeah, you actually won. Um, but uh, you know, for the records, we'll say just barely, but it was probably by a significant amount. Yeah, it probably... I probably cheated. That's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, it probably something like that. You actually, you actually won fair and square. I just stole it from you. <laughs> yeah, I just stole it from you. Yeah, but I couldn't. I didn't. I didn't remember the reason why. But yeah, and then I ended up going to Stevens Point, and that's. I mean, that's where I met Peter. Um, I met Dan Kraus, Sean. I mean, just a long, long line of people, and that was, you know, mm-hmm. really when I. I think I sort of made the radar for Ken and Rip. Uh, you know, when it wasn't just some kind of groupie guy, like I, I earned the privilege to carry their bags because they recognized my face and uh, it was a ton of fun. I love that model. I, I mean, I, Norm Hall was the head judge for the work climb. So, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm really being looked at by somebody outside of my circle. Um, basically meaning outside of my brother and my father, you know, and being judged on my climbing point from that. And it was, and yeah, just the, you know, the chainsaw and everything, it was just a, a great, a great way to learn and a great introduction into industry. And I hadn't really, I, you know, you can only connect the dots going backwards, but, you know, but looking at that now, like what a life changing experience that was, you know, meeting those people and the the trajectory that it put my career on and just such an innocent thing. I can remember, I think you must've called me because we weren't emailing and shit back then. Um, (laughs) You probably, and I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll go. I'm like, and then at that point too, it's, you know, like, I don't, I don't remember if my brother paid me or cause I was, I don't, I don't remember really to tell you the truth. It must've cost me some money to do, but it was a good MS test. And I have no, no, re- I'm one of the seminal events in my arbor career was that getting that Arbor master uh, course, you know, just learned a ton there and then going to meeting everybody through it. And then just going into the, which of course, you know, our relationship then spurned into you know many things through ITCC and then the training world as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't want to leave that little thing out. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, it, it's weird. Like I said, you know, we're not that far removed from knowing everybody. And then there's so many different stories within our lives, travel that intertwine, go out for a while, come back in. Uh, you know, we, we, we all know somebody uh, independently that we may have met. Um, but, it, but, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, I think – well, Dwayne, you started with a, the Porter app, so I guess that's—I guess I'll answer that question um, before I die. And after that, then everyone else can make up their own stories. But um, well, you know, Norm, Norm, Norm said he basically helped with kind of welding some things, but he said you really need to get the real story. He himself said you need to talk to Scott. Yeah. Well, no, that's yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> yeah, he's right. Um, uh, you know, exactly when, I'm not sure, late, like maybe 89 or in there. If, if you keep, if, if you think about that time period, most tree companies were taking wraps on the trunk to create friction. Most tree companies were not using blocks and pulleys and slings. Um, 
we were we were using <laughs> I don't know if you have ever have them, but we had giant Hobbs blocks that we got from Sierra Marina, which was Don Blair, right? And um, we also had the Hobbs lowering device, uh, not the nice green and yellow one we have today, but this one was, I believe, blue. But um, that's what we had. And, you know, for me, it's like I hated breaking the big Hobbs out if I didn't need it other than for a really big removal because it was big and heavy and the guys hated it. Um, But I absolutely hated – uh, taking wraps. I don't know about you guys, but you know, if I told the guy on the ground to let it run, he couldn't figure that. That was automatically meant he wasn't going to let it run, and I was going to get knocked out of my spikes and go swinging around like a rag doll. Um, but yeah, so uh, Lonnie Lake was a mobile mechanic that we had. He was a you know contractor, but he uh, he had a. Uh, business and he would be at our shop and he would fix things. He had a mobile mechanic truck. He was also had worked in the uh, oil fields uh, drilling and uh, I got him to make me a a number seven out of some drill pipe. And uh, so I took it out in the field and uh, tried lowering with it. It was an utter disaster, lost loads. It got tangled up. It was a mess. Um, and then one of the crew guys said, well, why don't you keep it the way it is, but instead of being a seven, put another leg off the other side. So it ended up looking like a boat anchor. Uh, and that one actually worked, you know, uh, worked pretty well. And so we, we used it for, you know, we made a couple of them and used it for quite a while. Um, I remember traveling to Chicago and working with Norm uh, in the care of trees, I was working with Norm specifically, and uh, he played with it. He thought it was cool. We went down into the the shop. Care of trees owned a repair facility, and one of the mechanics welded up uh, one for Norm, so Norm could play with it, and um, and that's kind of how it happened. Norm probably welded up like ten different versions. Some had yep. carabiners attached to them. You know, some of them had three or four pins, you know, just all kinds of things. Some had square tubes, you know, Norm really got into it, which was cool. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, the, I invented it. Norm helped me later on. We um, talked about it, and, you know, so we were – me and Norm were pretty tight back then, and so we were partners Scott, in crime. Why did you th- and, come up uh, with a seven? Like, what was your inspiration for the seven? And then, I mean, I understand it evolved into a boat anchor, but what? Why did you? Like, do you, do you remember what what prompted you to? Yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> uh, being stupid, um, you know, not having an engineering background, uh, not knowing enough about physics, uh, all those things you learn the hard way when you're an arborist. Um, but, yeah, you know, I mean, if you looked on um, tugboats or ships or docks, there'd be a single bollard head up, right? If you looked at the uh, Hobbs lower device, it was a ratcheting single bollard head. So I think that's what I was trying to do is make okay. a miniature version of that. Uh, don't hold me to that. I think that's what I was trying to do. And, you know, it, it, it obviously didn't work. Um, not a whole lot happened. Um, we just kind of kept it local. Um you know, I think Norm was making some, and for the crews in Chicago, we were making some uh, for our crews in where I was in the Washington D.C. area at the time, and 
Um, other things kind of morphed out of that, which was kind of cool. We were we were mounting bollard heads that bolted right to the side of our high ranger bucket trucks and you know things like that, which was really cool. Um, you know, not, we didn't go commercial. It was just we were just using it to help yeah. ourselves and help our crews out. You know, we weren't thinking to you know go to business with it. And uh, um, I fell in uh, I fell in 1993 and broke my back, and I was you know laying in a hospital bed at home. I had a two piece Ninja turtle suit, uh, wearing. And, uh, anyway, during my recovery, Norm came to town and we drove down. Um, I somehow I'd hooked up with, uh, Charlotte rigging, which was Ron Denise, uh, Dan. And, um, and I was communicating with Ron Denise. Maybe we had sent him one or something, but anyway, we went down and showed it to Ron, and Ron said, "Wow, this is cool. I can make them. You know, I'll I'll pay you guys money and all this <laughs> all this stuff." So he made them, and those were the uh, the original yeah. boat anchors. Um, yeah. So oh, yeah. there's, there's still some of those out there. They worked really well if you knew what you were doing. You also ran the risk of killing <laughs> yourself using it too. So, uh, yeah. typical tree tree guy, right? Uh, and then um, I remember my first my first conversation ever with Toby Sherrill was in 1994. Toby was making a knockoff version, uh, kind of a chrome plated boat anchor. And I remember calling him up, telling him he better stop. I don't know if I said I was going to kick his ass or sick a lawyer on him, but it was something <laughs> to that effect. And uh, <clears throat> but uh, no, it was actually he was pretty gracious, and once he. Once we got to talk, he, uh, he quit making them. Um, so yeah, that's how it got to that. It got to that point. Um, now Charlotte rigging, uh, sold to wall rope. And the minute that happened, uh, somehow it was left out in their deal that, Oh, by the way, we're paying, we're paying royalties to this Scott and Scott guy for, uh, <laughs> for Porter apps. So I eventually got with wall and, you know, water was under the bridge and I told him to quit making them. And that was kind of the end of it. Um, and I want to say mid nineties, 95, maybe I, I can't remember 96. Um, talking with Ken Palmer, you know, cause Ken had Ken Palmer and rip had a working relationship with Buckingham and that's how we got, uh, got Buckingham to make it. So, um, and uh, they, it was new and improved. Uh, that, well, I'm leaving out about five years worth of stuff, but man, you're making me go to memory lane. I'm gonna, I'm gonna well, screw it up. So there was a Porter app too yeah. that had an aim and eye on top that. and a hook pin. You know, there, there's probably 20 versions, but uh, the one that's out there today is called number four. The, the aim and eye was that part of the Charlotte rigging design, or was that was that even part of Buck? That was Norm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Norm was smart and thinking, well, we got to come up with a way so that our less experienced ground people don't lose a wrap and have the log fall (laughs) on. Right. So what we found, we did some testing with ISA because Dwayne, you should remember kind of, um, God, was that, uh, I'm trying to think. There was some art and science of practical rigging, yeah. but we were doing some testing 
uh, with ISA in Buckingham, we were bending that pen, yeah, yeah, that yeah. hooked pen. You know, um, I'm sure people who are listening to this are going to go, "These, what the hell are these people?" Talking well, no, about? it was, it was like I mean, there I were. Think, I think it was actually. Yeah, no, I remember. I remember the iterations, and there was a time. I would. It would have been in the mid '90s where there was like there was a time like every year or every six months there was a change, you know. And we were using them on programs and and pushing the limits to a certain extent too, just to test it or put it through its paces. I suppose you could say non scientifically, of course. And uh, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, I remember it was like there was this great epiphany, and, and it. If memory serves me correctly, there was a particular – I don't know if it was a new hire at Buck, but it was an engineer, I believe, like, uh, that said, listen, why don't you guys do this? And that's where the, the loop came about. And that was like, yeah. holy crap, now we think we got it. Yeah, you know, and- yeah that's that's it. You know, <clears throat> I was trying to get them to put a carabiner. Yep. You know how it's got a loop now? Well, imagine it, it's, it's a carabiner right. on top instead of the loop. And – you know, so I'm, I'm trying to find the hardest damn way possible or I'm an idiot and I'm thinking about what is available right. in my toolbox, like an old steel SMC yeah. uh, carabiner. Right. But you're right. An engineer at Buck goes, well, why don't you do this? And, yeah. you know, the rest it is It was history, funny when know? we talked to Norm, he uh, said only days before our podcast, he had was watching some type of uh, nature show. And they and and he noticed they were they were they were doing something with rope, and he noticed they were using a border wrap, and they had it hooked up on they had it hooked up <laughs> upside down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there but you it, go. But, but it still works. <laughs> well, that's actually the the, the 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 design beauty is that yeah, even if you hook it up upside down, it still works. Not near as well, but it works. And I see it hooked up upside down all the time, but. Yeah. It's like I said, it, it really has become like the quintessential ubiquitous like piece of tree gear. I having traveled the last 20 some years, it's very rarely that you yeah. don't see a porter app or if you don't, they have a device that somebody made, yeah. but they call it a porter app, right. right? Like it's like Band-Aid anymore. Like, you know, Band-Aid is a brand name, but people don't consider that anymore. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of knockoffs in Europe, oh, yeah. you know, um, Australia, you know, even in the U.S. I mean, you know, I'm I'm actually humbled <laughs> that it's still being made all these years later. I mean, really, mm-hmm. come on, right. you know, it's not rocket science. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's well, it's drill pipe <laughs> for Pete's sake. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, so, but I've enjoyed. I don't want really want to be known for you know. I don't want to you know my big my big contribution to humanity's the Porter app, but I know it's made. A lot of lives easier, specifically my own and my crews. Um, but now the training side of the, you know, my involvement with ISA and contributions there and serving others, um, big deal to me. And, and um, you know, I think the training that we all did, you know, it's funny, um, you know, when I think about, you know, the, Nats. I don't know what it would be today, but I know when when I sold Nats and and retired from doing that training. I mean, we had had well over sixty thousand arborists worldwide attend our programs, and uh, you know that's that's yeah. that's pretty awesome. Well, I mean, that was you an know? interesting evolution, um, Scott. Right? You know, because not only I, I, I 
I'm trying to remember if I remember we were on a sailing trip and I remember you and Toby were spending a lot of time with quiet conversation, but little did we know that, you know, you were negotiating, uh, uh, your, your time with Cheryl, but as a, as an, as staff, but was that specific was training was a pretty big part of that, wasn't it? Yeah, that was part of the, what they wanted. Um, and you know, that's, that's phase two, right? <laughs> you know, uh, Phase one was hanging out and carrying Rip's bags and, and traveling around with Ken and uh, doing all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I ended up uh, 2001 uh, going to work uh, for Cheryl because they were starting um, a program where they were going to carry Arbor Supplies in Vermeer dealers, uh, Canada, U.S., worldwide. And that excited me. Um, part of what excited me was, hey – I get to go and train people, mainly the dealerships, how to use the product and sell it, right? But also, you know, do some seminars. And Dwayne, I don't know if you were part of. I don't think you were, but when the when the whole Vermeer Cheryl marriage happened, uh, early like October of two thousand and one, there was a tour like down through Florida, uh, right after nine eleven, right? You know, but. Uh, uh, it was Husqvarna had their trailer, Cheryl, uh, Arbor Master, and we traveled around. And I was working for Cheryl. We traveled around doing yep. uh, seminars. So No, I wasn't part of that. Um, I, uh, Ken and I so were doing stuff in Yonkers for something at that time, right? Like literally the week following 9-11. Um, and you, I think it was Rip. And were you and maybe Bruce? I don't know. When did Bruce – like where did Bruce – yeah. Where did your relationship with Bruce fit into the whole training model? Like that goes back even before Nats, right? Yeah, it does. Um, I know I met Bruce and Lita in Bruce's wife, Lita, uh, in Stanford in 1999 at the climbing competition. So somehow they had hooked up with Kenan and Rip, you know, and I was hooked up with Ken and Rip and, and uh, we were helping with a climbing competition I think I was like a assistant head technician or something. But anyway, um, that's where I met, met Bruce, uh, there. So yeah, um, I don't know yeah. if I'm answering your question, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Bruce, I, Bruce had a relationship or was just starting a relationship with, um, with Arbor master, which, you know, he went on to, to do stuff with Arbor master for a right. couple more years after that. And then he also did the Vermeer stuff, uh, helped out with that. Yeah. 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 So if you go back to, so when I'm working with, I'm working for Cheryl, I have half the U S which is from California to split the U S in half, uh, horizontally. And I had from California, all the dealerships from California to the East coast, the Southern half, it was like 30 something dealers and, um, you know, traveling around. And part of what we would do is a dealer, would set up uh, a seminar to be held at their facility and we would do product uh, training and seminars on how to use all this really cool, fancy gear. Right. And uh, so that was really cool. Um, one thing I would do at those, those seminars that I do as many as 70 a year. Um, and um, what we would do is we would promote Arbor master. I had Arbor master flyers um, you know, trying to set up open and sell open enrollment for them. So I'd never really thought I was going to go into full blown training business. I just helping I, I, my friends out. 
You know, I work yeah, for Chicago. I'm curious my about in out. that time so. frame what your observations are on on the whole evolution of gear and equipment, like from like literally from the days. You know, you think back to like the Porter app was the, you know, in the garage conceived idea for your own company that's exploded into what it has or I don't know, maybe not even exploded, just slowly burned into what it is. But it is. And now there's just so many things like where do you, you know, being so close to Cheryl during that time period, like did you notice a when there was a, a critical mass shift in all the new stuff? That, and is it still continuing at the magnitude or do, have we... Where are we in that evolution, would you say? Because you've got a lot of experience there. Yeah, it was – yeah, yeah. I mean, it was – you know, if you were to – in my humble opinion, if you were to if yeah. you were to make it like a bell curve, we yeah. haven't hit the top yet, right? I don't think we'll ever hit the top of the bell curve. But for me, it was probably the bottom third is where I felt we were. You know, I can remember when the Blake's Hitch came out. Oh, my God, we – you know, there were articles in the TC, there were, there were articles in NAA magazines and, you know, um, on how to tie it. And there were people teaching it in seminars. I mean, that's how, you know, today people laugh about the Blake's Hitch, but it was, it was revolutionary. I remember when the, when, when we got a rope that wasn't yeah. white, you yeah. know, it was unbelievable. I think it was a company called Amco Ropes. They made a rope called Monkey Line. And it kind of had some orange and green in it, you know. It was like wow. And uh, you know, obviously New England had their their high vis line, but you know, then Samson came out with the true blue. Yeah. If you remember that twelve strand? Oh, everybody <laughs> had to have that, you know. It was blue. Yeah, I remember. I remember being uh, at ISA show in in uh, Bismarck, North Dakota, and Carl Krumerling had spools of. New England high V and I had to have it. I had to take it home. I, that was my first, cause it was color, you know, like you said, it was fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And there was a time if you showed up on the, at least when I was a young arborist, if you showed up on the job site with anything of pink chartreuse, blue, yellow, oh, they, they'd laugh you right off the job site. Now it's like the, the funkier, the, yeah. Yeah. Colors the better, yeah. you know. I mean, we've got I've, I've got rope in my garage that looks like a pile of vomit. I mean, that's it's so <laughs> yeah. many different yeah. colors in it, you know. And how do you, how do you feel, Scott? Where yeah, that's all crazy. gone? Like, like this is you know, getting back to a little bit of what Tony talked about. You know, it, like is there? Well, I guess two question part. I'm I'm curious. It, how important is the history and the, a, a bit of a knowledge of that for you know people? growing up in the in this industry and and then you know is there safety issues or benefits to to being connected to the the past and where we've come from well i i, I think it's good that we remember and document the past but i i think you know i have kids that are late 20s to mid 30s right and and um i don't know that they care but there are going to be some people who care. So it would be good that the histories, you know, they may want to know more. Right. Um, and you were making a comment earlier, um, but it seems like a lot of the people I work with today, they can get right. information so fast. Right. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, 
whoop de doo who invented the Porter app. You know what? What, what's what's yeah, the next yeah, thing coming you, out? I hear right? you. You know, we we were taught we had a climbing event recently for teaching our tree climbing course, and you know what? You know, even when you think about what is considered, what would you consider a basic climbing system today? <laughs> well, well, are we talking well, SRS or MRS? Right? So it's, start. You know, I mean, well, that's a good starting point. Is SRS yeah, I mean, more advanced than than yeah. MRS because there's there is new climbers yeah. out there that that's all they've ever done. Yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, more power to them. I I don't know that we know from a biomechanics standpoint what what one or the other if one or the other is better. Um, you know, I've seen I don't know where it's at today, but the last time I looked at any research on the on the single or static rope stuff, there was some indication that moving rope system might be from a biomechanic standpoint, uh, better on the body. But, you know, a lot of the people who climb SRT, uh, or SRS, you know, <laughs> yeah. a lot of them are pretty young, right? They can, they can get away with that. Um, now not to blow our own horns, a bunch of old guys on this call here, but we were using ascenders yeah. a long time ago. You know, we had the rope step and we yep. had Marbars and knee and foot. We were doing, uh, you know, Texas frogs and stuff 30 yep. before it was a thing. Um, we just weren't <laughs> that good at it, um, you know. Uh, and we never used it. You know, I think there was one guy out of Salt Lake that I knew that actually used like a Grigri as yep. a is a climbing hitch, but that, that was way, that was, that was cutting edge, man. That was like, wow, that guy's, that guy's either an idiot or a genius. We don't know which. I remember one uh, climber that climbed on the shunt, the Petzl shunt as his hitch. And it was like, wow, what the heck? What a mind blowing concept. There's, there's been so much change. And I think, you know, I'm thinking back and, you know, Dwayne's question on the history, I think, you know, when you look like I was fortunate enough, like my, you know, I, I grew up with tree work. So I probably learned to climb a tree on a taunt line hitch and three strand as a teenager, but not as a professional. So I, so I knew what it was, but then when I decided to be a professional, it was right on that cusp of like the taunt line was kind of going out. The Blake's hits were just coming in and then we put a pulley underneath it. Then we used a split tail system. But at that point, every advancement was solving a problem for us, right? Like the, Really, and it, it and it reminded me, and it brought it to attention. Talking with Norm was like, you know, the the taunt line hitch was great on three strand rope, but it really sucked when you got into the you know the nylon based and the ones with more anything other than three strand. And then now it's well, we can't we need to use a brakes hitch because it doesn't roll. Yeah. And now we had a knot that didn't roll, so now you can put a pulley underneath it. And everything mm-hmm. we did solved the problem. So to this day, when I look at something new, I'm like, is it solving a problem for me? Is it answering a question or is it suiting a need? And sometimes the answer is, is absolutely yes. And other times look at it and go, no, that's just a horse of a different color. Yeah. You know, that somebody's grabbed the wheel and they yeah. painted it blue instead of yellow. And now they're rolling it down the road, which is fine. I'm not criticizing. But I think understanding the history, you know, at least at a basis level, so you can see that progression of how these systems, you know, uh, really the, the split tail system solved a shit ton of problems for us, you know, a shit ton. Now we didn't have to untie the rope anymore, you know, just to transfer around. And then that allowed us to use carabiners. And so seeing that and understanding that and how that builds up, you know, it's, um, 
And I agree with you. I think that, you know, the SRS and the MRS, they're tools in a toolbox. You know, we've been using that analogy forever. And, you know, I'm with you. My jury's out. We'll see where some of these 20-something climbers are now 30 years from now and how their bodies feel. You know, and, <laughs> well, and, I, I can tell you um, I'll be getting two knees replaced. So uh, if that's any, anything about foot-locking, SRS, body-thrusting, <laughs> MRS, you know, I can – I could tell you that jury's not out, but, uh, you know, the challenge, um, the challenge I saw it's gotten harder is it's not so much the equipment, all the new gadgets and things that come out. It's the interface between those pieces of equipment with other pieces of equipment. That's where we've gotten in trouble. I, you know, Dwayne, looking at you, it made me think of that because I think you were a competitor in a competition one year and you were, you were showing how uh, that carabiner rope snap, I don't remember the exact name, but it would, it could yeah. roll out on certain, certain D rings. And, and the point I'm making is at one time, every harness that you bought in the eighties, yeah. all the D rings were the same. So all the connecting links could be made the same. I mean, it wasn't until about 1990. Did I not, did I start using locking rope snaps? Right? We use non-locking ropes. I mean, you say that to one of my young crew leaders today, and he'll yeah. think you're a complete idiot. You know, no, I can't believe anybody <laughs> would do something so stupid. But uh, it's that interface, right? And I don't know. Everybody's trying to make a faster gadget or faster widget, or or make it a different color so it'll sell. It's all. I learned that side from working working for Cheryl. Was it wasn't so much whether it was the right tool or the interface was good or it's really good for the industry is like, how many of these can we sell? Yeah, I'm curious about that. (laughs) Just as you were saying that, Scott, right before you said, I was thinking about that, about like has commercialism or, you know, the ability to get information out there now. And if it's sexy and cool enough and the right person has it on their belt, is that all the criteria that might be necessary to, to sell a bunch? Not and that's the criteria. Whereas, the taut line hitch, you know, didn't tighten and, and got tighter on braided rope. We had to put a stop or not, and then it, it changed everything. And Blake's was like, wow, that fixed that. It didn't matter whether it was sexy looking or not. It fixed the problem. Like Tony was saying, like, what is that? How prevalent do you think that is? You know, and I don't, you know, I, I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but I, I just thought about that now when you were saying that. Well, the, the challenge in my role now is director of safety for a fairly large tree company, you know. I mean, as we're speaking right now, there's probably 1,500 yeah. climbers in trees, right? So the challenge is it's not whether that gadget or new tool is uh, right or wrong. It's a matter of, of can we manage it in the field? You know, the, the, what Tony could get away with as a climber that's because he's in the top 10% of climbers in the world. You know, the average climber try to do the same things with the same tools that Tony's getting away with. They'd end up getting hurt. So for me with the big, you know, we, we try to be innovative and, but we test everything in the field. And I can tell you from experience, manufacturers and distributors will, will put things on the market without testing them at all. And, um, 
You know, I've, I've witnessed it firsthand. I've called them and said, I'll buy a thousand units in the morning. If you can show me the, the data, you know, the testing and, and, when they've gone and actually done the testing, it didn't meet the minimum criteria required. So, you know, they can sell whatever they want to sell. I mean, you know, think about it. Think of all the stuff in the, if you go back 15 years ago, look at the stuff in the catalogs, right? There was a, there was a, there was a tool made to zip your zing it into the throw line bag. Where did that really come from? Well, it came from the fishing industry for, Stripping line off your reels yeah. and sharpening yep. your hooks. Yep. I you still got that the line that was out there? The, Yeah, that's it, the line tamer. And, and things like that, right? Uh, I mean, I remember one arbor supplier was selling drywall stilts so that you could prune orchard trees better. And as a safety professional, I'm going, well, there's a broken shoulder and a broken <laughs> neck, you know? Um, but they're selling them and promoting them in the catalogs, you know? And, uh, yeah, so – uh, it's really the interface, um, and and you know, we're buying stuff that we're finding in other industries, right? We're marine industry, we're buying stuff, and you know, making it work. And yeah, it's pretty cool, maybe, but but it was never designed. Well, and you know, and, you know to I like that, to just so. uh, you know on that whole topic of manufacturers designed or tested fit for purpose. You know, there was, of course, was a time and period in the development of arboriculture equipment where they, we were, we were bag stealing and boring all kinds of stuff that wasn't made for what we did. But now it, it seems like there's more stuff that actually is made for arborist work. But even within that, it gets, you know, just gets um, reinvented or repurposed for some other type of, you know, canopy anchor configuration or whatever have you. And, you know, as a training company now, like we're finding more and more, and I don't know if it's my age or the, or what, but it's like, if it hasn't been tested by the manufacturer, you know, and I, you know, we got young, young, right instructors say, oh, this works great. You know, you do it like this. And it's like, yeah, but if we don't have manufacturer to back it up, you're kind of like, yeah, how do you explain to people that that's significant? You know, that's, I think, I'd be curious your thoughts on that it's for my own education. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a challenge, right? If, if, if a piece of equipment is invented in my garage and there's no industry standard or manufacturing standard or ASTM or CA or a UK CEEN, there's no testing standard for what I just invented, it's up to me to, to come up with what, testing standards are right so yeah sure we you know i'm gonna i'm gonna test it and say it's fine um and we you know we ran into that with uh mm-hmm. you know things yep. like the rope wrench right you know what is it well if you looked at when isc took it over they tested it under a pulley standard right right i mean what is it, it, it there's no existing category it's not a connecting link it's not a fall protection harness it's not a work positioning lanyard it's not you know all those things um yes that's a real challenge and then and then you know there is equipment that has been tested you know and keep in mind too right there was a time nobody used carabiners right nobody used carabiners in tree climbing unless you went to australia or england you know tony you mentioned split tail kind of changed the world it did 
but we were way behind yeah. the times in the U.S. I mean, they'd been climbing on a prussic split tail in England and, and Australia for decades and decades and decades. And, you know, the story I was told, it was because rope was so expensive. They didn't want to burn up a... They want to burn up 150 foot rope, so they would use a old beat up yeah, piece of rope. That was where the old rope down. you could have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think there's when it comes to your question, Dwayne. I think there's some misunderstanding. Like when you have a new piece of gear or a technique, there's a difference between you know doing something in your garage with your buddies and, and checking out in your backyard and sharing it with your friends and saying, "Hey, check this out." And then you take it to the next level, and then you share it to people that maybe you don't know that well. And then when it gets out into the wider world, they don't control it. Manufacturing standards, whether you make them yourself, as Scott said, or they're tested to a standard, it becomes a baseline so that someone like me that, you know, or, or any of the three of us has a good deal of experience in the industry. But now we can look at it and say, OK, this is how it's supposed to be set up. This is this is how it's supposed to function. And without that baseline, it, you can't you can't gauge anything on it. Right. It, it becomes and it's not that you have to teach or do things the lowest common denominator but you, like scott can't say well this crew can do this technique but this crew can do these five techniques because that's never going to work that's no way to lead and that's no you know you can't you can't run it that way and those manuf those instruction manual the manufacturer's recommendations become that baseline right without those there is no baseline it's just a hunk of metal or a couple pieces of rope slapped together and he caught the super duper peanut butter and jelly knot because sometimes it's slippery sometimes it's sticky and and then there you go down the road and that's that's great if you're in your garage with your buddy yep. you know playing around in your backyard that's not so great yep. when you're out in a job site and somebody's life is, is yep. well you know and it's interesting because i think now i don't see as much garage inventions it's more manufacturers rings beaners whatever devices stitch tools that are reconfigured and put together in a in a manner of which they weren't you know, no one thought of, and then it's like, wow, this actually works. And then it, it, it catches some momentum. And now it's like, okay, go to the manufacturer and say, Hey, what do you think about this? I said, well, we haven't tested it. And it, it, it and it's an assembly of components that are being used for a purpose for which individually they weren't exactly ever designed for, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that interface, yeah. right? That interface. That's what got me thinking about it, you know. And and we still default to the same thing, you know. The manufacturer says that, it, and you know, it's interesting. I, I I don't know if you guys experienced this or you did, Scott, as well. In in manufacturers, it you know, they don't say it's not approved or disapproved. They just say it's not tested. Right. You know, so what is that? What is that statement? Yeah, and they can get away like, what with is that, the right? purpose of that stand? You know, like, <laughs> what do you think? Like, as why would you say that? Like, to to avoid well, being, to avoid saying no, and to avoid saying yes. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that I've seen that, but I can tell you that uh, being an arbor supplier and uh, and a manufacturer. Um, your ins your liability insurance is pretty cheap, right? So that's, you know, there's not a lot uh, riding on that unless you really, you make a product that has a hmm. design fault and it fails and you're hurting people. Like I remember there were some inferior aluminum rings back in the day that were failing, right? You know, 
um, that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, the other thing too, is, um, I think, I think people are getting a little smarter now too. They, you might invent something in your garage, Dwayne, but what, what I see happening now is they're taking that to like rock exotica or CMI or Buckingham or ISC or DMM, you know, instead of, not too many people are trying to make right. things yeah. out of their own garage and sell them anymore. But, um, well, I, you know, Scott, I, I, one thing I wanted to get to a little bit on and in, in that this whole human forest concept, you know, how would you say would switch gears, I guess, a little bit, if you guys will indulge me, how do you feel being an arborist and, you know, working in, with trees and tree people, like how is that, benefited you or impacted your life, you know, kind of a bit more, bit more, uh, on the philosoph philosophical side of things, you know, where would you, I'm curious what you would say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, to go from, you know, a pot smoking, beer drinking kid in the 1970s, you know, to, uh, a totally sober, uh, ex, you know, director of safety for a large tree care company. Uh, you know, it, it's, and the other thing about the industry, if, if you make an effort to get involved outside of your own company and get involved at your chapter level and then move on, um, it's kind of, for me, my career has been a bit like a, a series of bus stops, right? Uh, I'm, I'm at a bus stop and then and me and Tony and Dwayne are standing at a bus stop and then we all get on the same bus for a while and the bus stops, Dwayne gets off, me and Tony go on for a while, bus stops, I get off, Tony drives <laughs> off into the sunset, you know, I, but when I get off the bus, I meet someone else at a different bus stop and it's just, uh, the connections are, uh, amazing. You know, I, I really didn't ever think I would amount to much <laughs> when I was 18 years old. You know, I, I figured I'd be doing construction work or something. And, and, uh, but, you know, if it wasn't for the people I met, I mean, you know, uh, from my first job, you know, meeting John Hendrickson at the Care of Trees, that was pivotal. The other thing, too, there are a few people like Craig Hall and probably Norm to some extent. I mean, they mentored me a bit. So, yeah, that would be the other thing I, I found important for the old, us Great. old trees to, mentor and create opportunities for young trees. Um, and that was something I, I believed in when, when I was with Nats is, you know, creating opportunities for, for other people to be involved. You know, I didn't have to be the rock star. I, I was happy to let other people be mm -hmm. the rock stars. Um, I think it's turned that way. Yeah, no, I, don't know if I answered it, your yeah, question. I, not, I mean, but, there isn't the right answer, obviously. It, yeah. I really appreciate that. You know, and I, I, it resonates very much with me, Scott, like, you know, our, our relationship and our connection going back to working together. And, you know, I remember that call saying, are you going to come do some stuff in the U S and, you know, it was always, you've always been, you know, a, you know, the, the serve share support model has it, it, you've never wavered from that. And, uh, you know, not, not seeking the limelight and just genuinely, you know, almost an altruistic view, you know, I've never, it's, it's, it's been constant in, in, in all of the years I've known you. And I really appreciate that about you. And it's, it's something I, 
you know, look up to and admire about you because it's a good purpose. You know, service is such a wonderful thing and giving back, you know, I think it's almost, you you know, you're not, it's part of successful living, I guess. It's part of being an old growth at a forest and, what an example, you know, of, of giving back, you know, even Tony and I were talking about even the ones that have gone, you know, the trees that have fallen in our human forest, they're still, we, we see them, we talk about them, we notice them and they're giving back. Like they're, they're not, they're still giving back. They're still supporting this network, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, when you think about like Peter Donzelli, Stanley Longstaff, yeah. Bruce Smith, right. I mean, we still, there, there are people. There are arborists today that'll never know these people, but they're they'll be impacted by something that we learned from Stanley, or you know, the art and science of practical rigging that yep. Dwayne, you and I got to work on. Tony, <laughs> I think you might have been involved too. And <laughs> again, yep. there's the bus stops, yep. you know. Uh, so yeah, I, I appreciate you saying all that, Dwayne. I can tell you that uh, the older I get, the grumpier <laughs> I've gotten. So maybe some of that serve, share, and support. Uh, I fall off at times. Uh, my, my, my job has a lot more going on <laughs> than I, than I would have, you know, at my age, it would be like, it'd be nice to slow down a little bit. Um, I also at times with our industry as a whole, um, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced it, but there, it's a real thing. It's called volunteer right. burnout. And, you know, I think about, you know, serving on the ITCC from like 95 to, you know, 2012 and being on the board of ISA for six years and helping chapters and, and, you know, just, you know, going, helping urban forestry councils and just going, 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 and, you know, just kind of get to that point of uh, just, just burned out. And it's not that I'm a real grumpy guy. It's just, Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm fried, you know, I just had to, I had to step away, you know, it was, it was important for me to kind of step out of the limelight and do what I could do to help people from behind the curtain. I agree. So I agree. You know, there's so a, anyway. yeah. And yeah. maybe it's something we all learn with age or hopefully learn sooner than later. But, you know, I a hundred percent did the same thing. I remember one time we were, uh, there was 38 days a year I was given to volunteerism, which I loved, but it, there is too, you can have too much of a good thing. You're absolutely right. And, you know, and it had its toll on me as well. You know, I've had to make pretty significant life changes that I can't blame on anyone but myself, but I can look back and see where they, they may have been alleviated or avoided had I made different decisions. And even, even you know, the relationships that, that come and go, and I just feel very grateful that, you know, I still have some of the relationships I do, you know, and even you agreeing to do this call, Scott. You know, I know you and Bruce, I would sometimes watch you and Bruce have some Periods of, of discontent, I guess you could say. And, you know, you and I have gone through the same thing. And I think that's part of it, too, that we can come back and heal from those events. And not, you know, they weren't, I don't know. I, I don't want to get too off in the weeds or, or, or personal. We don't need to get into details. But, you know, I, I just really value your friendship and your willingness to, to stay connected. Yeah, I mean, for now, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to retirement. <laughs> I don't know, you know, I don't know if anybody will ever see me again unless you drive down my yeah, driveway. Fair enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, um, but, you know, I, b- before I forget it, um, I think one of the first train maybe 15 years ago, yeah. Dwayne, one of our first 
training yeah. intensive we did, there was a comment that always stuck with me that you had put in our workbook material, and it was uh, the definition of greed. Do you remember that? Greed was having a gift uh, yeah, and yeah, not yeah. sharing it, meaning that you know you, know, you have. You know, I've got a I've got a gift wrapped up in this box, which might be my knowledge, my skill. It might be my ability to communicate. It might be I could teach a younger person how to do something. That's my gift wrapped up in this box, right? And not sharing that. That's the true thing about greed. And and uh, so you know, I encourage people to get out of themselves and not what's in it for me, but you know, what what's what can you do to make yeah. someone else's life better? Uh, I tell you, man, it's more, way more, way more rewarding. Um, you know, it doesn't pay much, but it's way yeah, more rewarding. in a different way. <laughs> well, I, well, I think, you know, if you use Dwayne's analogy of the human forest and, you know, as a young tree coming up, you, you need different things. And I think when I got involved with, you know, Arbor Master and Matt Scott and then volunteered at the ITCC, I look back now and I see that I was searching for a community. I needed a tribe. You know, I needed that group and, and that served me and it still serves me to this day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and, and I went to those events and I did all those events and I spent my time, my personal time and money. And, and I learned a great deal. I'm not saying I, I, I probably, I probably benefited more than I paid for, but it was, I really needed that sense of community. And now it's, you know, now I just need different things in life. So that's kind of drifted away. And some of the people have drifted away. You know, I haven't volunteered at the ITCC for the last couple of years because you know, the people I've really enjoyed working with have, have moved on for various reasons. And it's time for me to move on just like a tree grows and matures. You know, I'm not at the, you know, at the lower canopy anymore, you know, a little bit higher up. I have a different yeah. purpose in the forest mm-hmm. and, and I have different needs. And I think that's seeing that, and I'm with you too, Scott, I look forward to the day where like, if you want to see me, don't, don't call. Cause I ain't got a phone. And when you drive down the driveway, come slow. Cause I'm going to need to identify it. <laughs> <laughs> Before you get too far down the driveway, yeah. uh, you're gonna keep that tactical advantage until I'm sure I know who you are. Yeah, and definitely. yeah, and and that's fine. And 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 I agree with you. I think that there's other ways to give back to the the community. And it's one of the things that I find really rewarding about even this podcast is, you know, this is another way that we can give back. We can tell these stories and share these stories, and people can listen to them and they take them for what it's worth. Yeah. It's not, yeah. you don't got to listen to it, right? You don't got to listen to a bunch of old guys crowing about the old times, but there's value in that past and yeah. there's value in those communities and those networks that we built. And you're right, they still exist, whether, you know, Bruce and Peter and, and Stanley aren't with us anymore, but we still benefit from their nutrients the way they feed right. the forest. And they're going to continue to feed that forest for many, many generations. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I mean, and you made me think of something was, if, if you go back three decades, the your community typically was yeah. where you lived and worked, you know, mm-hmm. and it might have been your local chapter or state arborist association. But with, you know, the Internet and email and everything that we have, we take for granted today. Once all that got involved, our, our community uh, got huge. It got worldwide. And through the International Tree Climbing Championship, it was truly worldwide. And I think. I think it was like Mark Bridge or somebody in one of our pre-climber meetings or post-climber meetings. He used the term tribe, right? And, uh, you know, that climber tribe that we were all part of. And that's interesting, too. Um, I don't know how long you want this call to go, but I I have my moments of reflection and regret and all that. But uh, I remember when I was young and I wanted to be like the cool people, right? And then I got the opportunity to be in with the cool people 
And then I was one of those cool people. But then I now I'm old and I'm no longer the relevant. So it just, yep. it's just that yep. cycle of life, right? Yep. <laughs> you know, I was hip and cool and relevant and, you know, and, and now I'm just an old guy that now you're trying to figure out, does anyone want to, does anyone care about the history anymore? I, I sure yeah. hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and I like what you, you know, there was a, ISA did a video of right. Legends of Arboriculture. Absolutely. I don't know if you remember that. It's yes. probably 20 years ago. Yeah. They need to yeah. do another one um, and, and capture before, you know, some of the other old arborists, yeah. you know, pass away. So we're, anyway. we're, we're um, yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I've all, I'm really, I get, I like the way the, these calls go and the, you know, the, the organic development of, of their, their process. And, you know, someone I'm, I, I'm hoping to make contact with, well, I will. I mean, he texts me every, every once in a while, I get a, a message from Don Blair and uh, it was only a few months ago. He he shot me a quick message. So I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to him. I think it'd be really good to, you know, that's how this thing just keeps expanding because he's come up now three times and uh, it would just make sense to, to, to have a little discussion with, with Don. Yeah, I mean, whether good or bad, negative or positive, oh, he, he had an influence, right? Yeah, you know, and uh, he definitely had a, he had an yeah. influence uh, on so me. So many, you know, of us, and it's the one thing when when Tony and I were talking about this too. It's it's you know, it's easy like it, it to, to mix up personalities with the with with the principles, you know, like not. Like there's people that have contributed, and and some sometimes there's personality conflicts or whatever, but they 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 really need to be set aside at certain times, or you know, for the sake of the collective, you know, the forest doesn't do that. You know, the it doesn't like isolate one tree because it grew crooked or weird or whatever. You know, like it was different than the others, and and I think it's a real example and and why we want to you know be open to expanding to whoever. That was part of the history and the development of the whole industry and uh, get their tree action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot more names than that, right? Bob yep. Phillips in California yep. and Ken and in California and Butch yep. Weber. And, you know, there's some people I can see them in my mind. I can't even remember their <laughs> I name. I know what you mean. I know. You know? And uh, like John Hendrickson yeah. is another one, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a different podcast. He might be a little more uh yeah. engineering. But uh yeah, he, he would, would be he awesome. Would. You know, yeah. yeah, he'd be he'd be Well, um, you know, it's funny, Scott, you're mentioning oh. about time. With Tony, we're probably right at that time where it typically takes a natural uh they're almost all of them without any planning, Scott. Um they're just over an hour. It just the way it seems to work. Yeah. Seventy two yeah. minutes. Yeah. Seventy-two minutes. It's really interesting. Prime. You know, it would it would probably take four more podcasts if you really wanted the forty-five yeah. years of of history. Because we didn't even talk about Nats. We didn't talk about Cheryl. We didn't talk about ITCC. We didn't talk about board. You know, we didn't talk about ISA. We didn't talk about instructors. And oh my lord! You know, thank God it's <laughs> over. Well, uh, 
Well, we, we prefer to we prefer to look at these. It's more like a pruning job than a removal because yeah. once you do a removal, there's no return on that. But you can prune it a number of times. Well, I mean, we're all on the, you know, the three of us are just at this bus stop right now. I'm getting ready to hang up. So uh, just I pray your bus doesn't crash till the next time we meet. <laughs>